Amen. Jesus is Lord of all, all kinds of disciples, and we're looking at each of them uh, week by week, person by person, uh, in our Real Disciples series, a revealing look at who they were, who we are, and who we can be. This next week, uh, we'll be looking at Mary Magdalene, and no, I'm not coming in drag. That will not happen this next Sunday, Uh, but... Mary Magdalene will be uh, portrayed by another in our midst. Uh, Miss Terry Dietrich will be bringing us that testimony of that particular disciple. So that's going to be fantastic. I hope uh, you'll enjoy that this next Sunday as Mary Magdalene uh, comes to visit us in first person. Also, uh, coming up on Thursday night before Easter, which we know is Monday Thursday because that was the day that Jesus gave his new uh, commandment, Monday commandment, it's the Latin. Uh, we'll be having a living Lord's Supper here that night, and we'll actually be enacting this scene. Uh, we'll be a part of it. Twelve guys will play these uh, twelve different folks and Jesus, and uh, you'll be invited into this scene. So week by week as we look at these apostles, I hope you're recognizing who they are. So that night, even when they just sit here amongst you, dressed just like this, you'll be able to pick out who's who, perhaps. Uh, In in this particular photo, uh, we're looking at Philip today, and that's Philip there. And that's a great picture for Philip. You see him there in the red. He he was the introvert of the bunch. You can just remember that. He's an introvert. He's an inside guy. Okay, I don't know if Leonardo knew what he was doing there, but but that's actually uh, quite accurate for who um, Philip is and was. He's the guy there in, in, in the red. All right. My name is Philip. Like you, I'm a real disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a Galilean. Let me just make real clear who I'm not to start with. I'm not the Philip of Acts, the one that was the great evangelistic preacher that went throughout Samaria. That was not me. That really wasn't even like me. I was not like many of the other disciples that you've heard about so far. Almost all of them extroverts, doers, and adventurous Water walkers like Peter, visionaries and dreamers, people of bold faith and passionate men like the sons of thunder, James and John. People persons like Andrew, you know, those that just kind of light up a room and have that that presence about them and uh, insightful ones like John, always recognizing the the deeper things in a moment, the more spiritual, unseen things in every scene. That was not me. I'm an introvert. A bean counter. I'm much more comfortable with facts than than things that are spiritual. I'm an analytical kind of guy. I, I, I tend towards the practical rather than the insightful. I'm a pragmatist, you know. To me, it, what, what matters is, is, is what works. And I, and I work best with things that I, that I can handle and count and, and measure. I'm a, I'm a master of logistics. 
How many of you are introverts out there? Got some introverts? Well, if you're truly an introvert, you're probably not raising your hand. So, <laughs> um, but, but I'm here to tell you that God has a place for us in His band, in His unfolding plan, as much as He does all those extroverted folks. Don't assume that because you're an introvert, or because you're like me, that you're not disciple material. If I was, then you can be. In, in all of the lists of the disciples, I'm actually the fifth disciple listed in all four lists. That suggests that I, I had some prominence and some significance. People behind the scenes can still make a huge difference. God calls even us to be His disciples. Some have said since I was the fifth, they, they divide the disciple list up into four and four and four. Three groups of four. And that would make me the leader of the second bunch. Fifth suggests some significance. Even though in all of the Gospels, other than John, I'm not mentioned at all other than being a part of the list. But those who contribute behind the scenes are not always the ones that are known by name. We don't enjoy the spotlight, but the eyes of heaven are still just as much on us. Who was it that Jesus sent into town to arrange for the Passover meal those last nights? The Scripture says He sent disciples. It doesn't say who. Who was it that was off organizing the meal uh, that was enjoyed around the well that day when we all got back and found Jesus there talking to the woman? Someone had to keep those other knuckleheads in line. Someone was the planner. Someone was the hands-on guy that could pull things together. Have you ever noticed who it was that when those 5,000 plus gathered around Jesus on that day He was teaching. Jesus turned to one of us and asked, how are we going to feed this crowd? You'll find it there in John chapter 6. Jesus therefore lifting up His eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to Him said to me, Philip, where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this He was saying to test Me. For Jesus Himself knew what He was intending to do. Philip answered, I answered Him, 200 denarii worth of bread. A denarii was about a day's wage. It was a chunk of money. 200 denarii is not f sufficient for them for every one of them to receive even just a little. I'm here to tell you this morning that unless the dreamers in God's band don't have the developers, then the dreamers are just daydreaming. And if the leaders don't find people who can work with the logistics, then they're just taking a long walk by themselves. In this band, God needs people to work behind the scenes too. And Jesus has a chosen place for us. John and Andrew and the others and the 
the Gospel of John that began to follow after Jesus saw Him and followed after Him. But if you read carefully, you'll find that Jesus came and found me. I didn't crash this party. Jesus chose me. And Jesus would choose you. Especially if you're one that's like me, I think. Jesus has a place for us. But sometimes we can forget to make a place for others. Sometimes those of us that are more practically minded have to have have a plan and see it from beginning to end with no gaps. And sometimes when there's no gaps in the plan, there's no room for somebody else. And sometimes there's not even room for God to get in on it. If you're one of those practically minded people like me, that can sometimes become a limitation. I was always practical, always analytical. I'm the kind of person that unintentionally can throw the damper on the party by always pointing out what's wrong with an idea while everyone else is pointing out what's right with it. I see the barriers that have to be overcome and I can bring them up at the most inopportune times for, rash, uh, for, for morale. If we're not careful, our gift for the practical can become almost discouraging to others that are dreaming the dream and not wanting to see that which stands in the way. That same crowd Jesus was looking upon and having compassion, I was looking upon and counting. I was worried about the math. And Jesus, always knowing the heart of everyone, knowing the heart of me as a disciple, turned to me, the organizer of the bunch, and asked his question. Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? He said it with a smile. I I ignored the smile and started my calculations. Uh, t- t- ten wheat cakes would cost about a denarius. Barley cakes would be about half that. Make that 20. If we go with barley, 5,000 plus out there, we could, we could break the barley in half. T- 200 denarii. No, it won't work. Won't work, no way it'll add up. Bad idea. Somebody informed the other disciples, there's no way we can do this. I saw that as my role. We've never done anything like this before. How many of you know that in dream and brainstorm parties, people like me can be very unpopular? So sometimes my vision was so practical, so locked into the counting, I was doing the math rather than paying attention to the master, and sometimes I missed some things. It says here that Jesus asked me, not because He needed a plan. He knew what He was going to do. He asked me because He wanted to show me how to see more than just what I could tangibly feel and practically observe. He wanted me to awaken to the fact that sometimes when it looks impossible, God may still be in it. He he wanted me to pry open 
my sense of what was possible, enough to make room for what others thought, enough to make room for, for God getting in on the plan. But he knew things like that to a practically minded guy like me are better displayed than talked about. I learned from Andrew that day. Andrew didn't believe any more than I was that uh, I did that there was enough bread or enough money to buy bread, but he found a little kid. Do you remember that? The little lad with the, with the loaves and the fishes. Andrew wasn't very good at math. Two fish, five loaves, 5,000. No way. But, but still, he, he brought Jesus what he had. And my friends, that can be a formula for the incalculable. I learned that day that it wasn't just about what I thought was feasible. I had to make room for others to get in on the plan like Andrew and, and that little guy with the lunch. But even more than that, in, in my practical-minded, logistical planning, administrative kind of mind, I... I had to also make room for God. Sometimes He surprises. Sometimes He fills in the gaps for things that just don't add up. This He did to test me. But not to show me up, not to embarrass me. He asked me the question so that that question still hanging in the air could find a new answer. He fed all 5,000 that day. And I can still remember picking up my basket of scraps left over. He showed me what was possible when I crawled outside of my comfort zone and understood that my limitations were my limitations. And when you're working with God, there's always more to the equation than that. So, sometimes I seem to get that lesson. In John 12, verses 20 and 22, the Greeks didn't know how to get to Jesus. He was a Jewish teacher. They were in town, didn't know our customs. But some have said that it was just because I had a Greek name. And that, true, I, I, I did have a Greek name, Philip, as many did in Bethsaida. It was one of the most Hellenistic, Greek-infused uh, culture cities in, in, in North Galilee. In fact, I was named after Philip the Tetrarch, who was one of those who made Bethsaida, my hometown, actually the, the, the capital of the whole province. Uh, Philip was kind of a, a hero in our family, and so I was given that name. I was Jewish like everybody else, but, but I had a Greek name. And sometimes that gave me connections that others didn't have. Not only was I welcoming of the Greek culture. I actually spoke the Greek language uh, pretty well. And so, so they may have felt that they could pick me out. Or they may have just seen that I was the guy kind of behind the scenes running things. You go to the maitre d' when you got a question. That was me. Or it could have been for other reasons. It could have been because I, was, uh, I had a Greek connection. It, it could have been... Uh, because they saw me as, as just kind of the logistical captain of 
the activity of the disciples. It could have been just because they knew I had a personal connection with Jesus and I was the first one chosen. But in any case, I'd learned something after the miracle of the fish and the loaves. See, I'm a procedural person. Are you like that? Do you like to follow procedure? There's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. Is there not? And those dreamers, they drive me nuts. Just just when I've got my filing system in order, they come up with a new idea. Just when we finally got the old way of doing it working pretty well, here they come with a whole new thing. It's going to change it all. But both sides of that equation are necessary. If it weren't for those kind of possibility thinkers, I suppose I'd never join God on many ventures. We need each other. It bothered me that there wasn't a clear procedure. Jesus at times sent us out as disciples first to the children of Israel and only to the children of Israel and then only, only then after to the Gentiles. Were Gentiles in or were Gentiles out? Sometimes they seem to be, sometimes they seem not. He stopped by the well in Samaria. Gentile woman, Samaritan woman. Go to the Jews first. This is messy. I, I didn't know what to do. And, and, and people like me, if, 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 there, if there's not a procedure, we can become paralyzed. What, 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 what do, what's next? What's the next practical step? And it, and it wasn't clear. So I found Andrew. Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus. I thought if there's anybody who can handle this, I'll, I'll team up with Andrew. And so... I took the Greeks to Andrew, and Andrew and I took him into Jesus, and it didn't seem that we had spoiled any procedures in Jesus' mind, and, and, and that was good. That was good. If it had been a bad mistake, I would have blamed it on Andrew. But because procedural people like me, we don't like to be wrong. We like to do things right. I needed friends like Andrew to help me navigate the messiness of life sometimes. I, I knew that I needed him. So sometimes I got it. What Jesus was teaching me through that test there on the mountain with the fishes and the loaves. Some, sometimes, sometimes I missed it completely. I'm embarrassed to tell you about that night in the upper room. Jesus had washed our feet, just washed our feet, and told us all about love. And I didn't get everything He said. Jesus had just said that He was the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. And, and Thomas said, show us the way. And then Jesus went on to say that that if we had seen Him, we had seen the Father. And I thought, seen God? Seen God like Moses saw God? When did that happen? Was I out? Was I out getting lunch that day? I had missed that. And before I knew it, I was just blurting out, Lord, show us the Father. And it'll be enough. How many from Missouri? The show me state. Any of you guys? We're cut from the same cloth. 
If I see it, I can believe it. If it's tangible, I can follow it. I can... I missed what Jesus was saying that day. And it broke his heart. Philip, he said, have I been with you so long and yet you don't know me? Oh, okay, okay, okay. If you've seen Jesus, then you've seen the unseen Father. He, he, is, he is the reflection, the perfect reflection in kind of human language of, of the Spirit God. But Jesus was not just the reflection of the character of God the Father. He was also the precursor of the character of the Spirit that He was going to send to be with you right now. And I wonder if I'm not the only one that misses it sometimes. I wonder if the Spirit is... No, I don't wonder. I know. I know the Spirit is at work now in this community as He ever was amongst us as the disciples. But my friends, if you'd come to know Jesus, you'd come to recognize His unseen touches in the lives of those around you. Those things that are subtle, but in a but observable if you don't just look with your eye, if you look through your eyes. Show us the Father, I said, and it'll be enough. How, how is it that you come to be convinced to the point that you can act? Do you have to have a foolproof plan? Do you have to know the steps from A to Z before you can take the B step? Have you learned in your practical mindedness how, how, how to move ahead in the right direction? Disciples like us have to come to, to trust the Lord and to trust the community and to move together. There's a place where we can ask our questions and, and, and we can point out the difficulties ahead and we're as necessary to that process as, as, as anyone else. If, if we don't bring up the way that something might have a barrier, then the very thing that we're trying to do for the Lord might be completely sabotaged for the lack of critical thinking. I didn't want that to happen. It was too important to me. And so when that person in the finance committee speaks up and says there's just not enough funds, don't ignore them. They're not trying to be a killjoy. They're trying to keep a dreamer from walking off the end of a pier. There's, there's a place for that kind of caution for the realists among us, along with the adventurists. We're all part of this band together. Jesus was incredibly patient with me. And maybe because of His patience with me, the others learned to be patient too. But I sensed there was something that always helped them hear my cautions, understand my objections, uh, 
Help me not to be resented for, for raising and pointing out the difficulties. You know, some people see the opportunity in every difficulty. Others see the difficulty in every opportunity. My role in life. But you know, others can hear your contribution so much easier if they know that when it comes to moving ahead, that even the one who's seeing the thing that's going to be difficult has nevertheless said in their heart, count me in. I'm not sure that this is the hill to take. But if the Spirit speaks to enough of us to say, that's the hill we're going to take, know this, for all the impossibility I see, I will go ahead with you and with God. Trusting Him. And trusting Him in you. When others knew that that was my heart, they could be honest with their doubts too, like my friend Nathaniel. What good thing could come out of Nazareth, he said. And I said, come and see. Come and see. Now, if John had been there, he would explain why he was the Messiah. You know? Why Jesus has this cosmic connection to the Logos. John would have done that. Not me. I just said, you know, he lines up with what's in the Old and the New Testaments, Moses and the prophets. You know, Jesus from Nazareth. Joe's boy. I just wanted to point him out. Point the way. I wasn't the kind to convince I, I didn't have wonderful words like those other extroverts and writers. But I had practical concern for my friends. And somehow I knew that the we, that fervor of belief that I felt in, in that group when we got together, that I, if I could get my friend with that we, then it didn't just depend on me anymore, see? I realized if I could just expose Nathaniel to what these other knuckleheads from Galilee were coming to believe in their hearts, these dreamers, these adventurous, these idiots that would step out of a boat and think that they could walk on water, what was he thinking? If I could just get them with that we, and it wasn't just me anymore, that all kinds of new possibilities would emerge conversations would be overheard that I couldn't lead. Teachings would be given that I wasn't insightful enough to put together. I mean, I'm Philip, the bean counter. But that didn't mean I didn't love people. I love Nathaniel, and he knew it. And when Nathaniel looked into my eyes, he saw in the face of his friend that I was already convinced about Christ. And before Nathaniel ever trusted Jesus, he trusted me. Do you know who Nathaniel is in your life? 
Someone who trusts you enough to just come and check it out. Well, if you do, then, then I want to give you a practical challenge. I know your preacher teaches about witnessing all the time. Incredibly complex the way he comes up with it. Makes my head spin. Look, if you got a friend, bring him. Is it any harder than that? You've got a friend. You've just thought of your Nathaniel. So I'm going to challenge you. The first Sunday of every month, find a Nathaniel. And decide like me not to go alone. Now, you may not have a whole lot to say, but you can tell somebody... I'll be there at 10. I'll drive. Breakfast is free. Afterwards, you can just go to lunch. And if that makes you nervous, I mean, if you're not much of a conversationalist, find an Andrew in here. They're all over the place. These yappy people. Go to lunch. They'll carry the conversation. There's no telling what can happen when two or more are gathered together. And the third in that equation shows up. You know, you don't have a friend that Jesus doesn't already know. You don't have a friend that Jesus doesn't already love. And when that truth becomes their discovery, they just might want to follow Him too. Then just get out of the way. I don't have a whole lot of fancy teaching on that. First Sunday, bring a friend. Can everybody do the math on that one? If not, if not, I'll, I'll be glad to to help you with it. You don't have to think about it every week, but as that first Sunday comes in each month, I just want to invite you to start thinking through who the Nathaniel's are in your own life. Perhaps this morning, you like me want to give your strength to the team. Perhaps this morning, you, you want to say, count me in. You're tired of trying to live this life of following Jesus alone. You're an introvert. And you've got a place on on this team. Take the practical step I did, and wherever you see Jesus, join him. Now, if you're like me, that's something that only Jesus really does. You know, we're we're risk inspective. We 
we put off things. We're careful walkers. You know what I'm talking about? We don't commit to things quickly, Phillips. And, and that was really completely unlike me to become a follower of Jesus so quickly. But, but that's the effect that Jesus can have. He can draw things out of you that you didn't know were there. Do you sense Jesus in this place? Do you sense Jesus among these people? Then today say, count me in. And, And if you don't sense Jesus here, find a place you do. That's the place He's calling you to. He wants you to become active in walking out your life with Him. I'm so glad that for that moment, that day that I first saw Jesus, I put aside the arithmetic and did a thing that was kind of unlike me. I jumped out and joined the adventure. You don't have to go it alone. You could have friends go with you. And as you walk this out, an amazing thing starts to happen. That that Jesus encounter starts to reshape who you are. You'll find yourself stepping out beyond your limits again and again. Not too far. Always bringing your strengths. Always with what you have to contribute. But it's interesting, no matter how different we were as disciples... By the end of our journey together, we'd all become more like Him. Without becoming more like each other. It's hard for me to do the math on that one. But it's true. We became even more ourselves. But we became more like Christ. You'll have to ask John how that works. I just know what happened. My ministry post-Jesus was not as wide and as famous as the others. You wouldn't expect that from a person who likes to work behind the scenes. But I, I went to a city where that Greek connection paid off for me. It was a place called Heriopolis. And it was, it was just across the Lycus River from other churches that you have heard of because they were pastored by the other apostles like Colossae, Colossians, yeah, and, and Laodicea, letter in Revelation to Laodicea. Heriopolis was right there by them all. But strangely, Heriopolis is not mentioned by John, not mentioned by Paul, and yet there was a thriving Christian community there at that time that those other churches were written to and talked about and mentioned in the letters of the New Testament. And some people believe that the reason for that was that not only did I learn to make space for those disciples that were different than me, but those disciples that were different than me learned to make space and place for me at Areopolis, the Greek city. Well, you know me, I walk into town, I see what's practically wrong. Arion was sanctuary in Greek. It meant 
that this was the city of the sanctuary, not a Christian sanctuary, it was a pagan sanctuary. All kinds of demonic stuff was being worked with and worshipped in that place. I saw something that had to change. If you go there today, that same place, Areopolis, the, the spas still work and the mineral streams that come up, hot springs there still flow over a mountain down to the river and there's still beautiful mineral deposits, you know, kind of like those stalactites in the caves that, that hang over that waterfall. It's an incredible place. And, and there were those hot springs and occasionally fumes would come up out of those hot springs and they were so toxic that they would often kill people unexplainably. And it was there in that place of mystery from which waters bubbled up and mineral springs flowed and noxious, toxic, deadly fumes occasionally emerged that the pagans built a sanctuary to what they didn't understand. But that darkness was imprisoning them. When I walked in that place, I sensed it. And I knew it was a power that was beyond me. And then I remembered the equation. I wasn't there alone. I drew a cross, a wooden cross from my pack. and I counted on Jesus being there with me still to work through what He was laying upon my heart. And I condemned the darkness of that place. And as I did, something that I can't explain happened. A huge serpent slithered out from under that altar. And as it did, fumes were coming off of it and it disappeared as I commanded it to. I I, I don't know how. I'm just telling you practically what happened. The king's son was there in the sanctuary that day. A teenage son. And apparently the fumes got to him and he passed out. When they went to check on him, they found him dead. But I serve the life giver. And I prayed Jesus' name over him. And the young man was given back life. Not even death can conquer the life that Jesus has to give. The pagan priests were upset. I kind of messed up their little demon party. They tied me to a cross. And there they picked up stones and started pelting me. They probably could have crucified me like my Jesus, but... I don't think they were sure they wanted to get that close to that kind of power. And as my life was being crushed, or you might say as it was being released, I found something coming out of my mouth that even surprised me. Father, forgive them, I said. They don't get it. 
like me, they just don't get it. How about your Nathaniel? Does he get it? Yet. How is it that disciples like us, different each of us from one another, somehow over time of walking with one another and walking with God, come to be more in character like the Christ that we follow? Ask John. But if you ask me, this morning, I'd simply say, come and see. Come and see. Dare to make your life an adventure that you join with God and that you risk with others that would walk with you. If this morning you would come to that life-changing Christ, or if this morning, like me, you'd say, count me in. Count me in as a follower of Christ. Count me in as a follower with you guys. I don't know where this road is going, but I'm ready to come and see. If you'd say yes as I did, I'm going to invite you to step a little outside your comfort zone. This may be a bit of a test for us introverts. But the journey to this altar is just the beginning of a much larger journey in life. One that you don't want to miss. If you'd take the first step today, not knowing where the last step's going to lead, I invite you to come and see where Christ will lead you when you commit yourself to following Him. Let's stand this morning as we sing.